You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 2 Samuel chapter 23, where we find ourselves in our study as we're bringing the book of Samuel to a conclusion. And I hope that for our folks who get the loop we talked last week, that you've taken the time this week to look at this text and to to gain some insight, um, some principles. It's filled with some great truth here. So let's look together now in 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting now at verse number 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Isnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aholite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together in battle and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until he had wearied his hand, and his hand clave to the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was at the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three. And he lift up his spear against three hundred and slew them and had the name among the three. Was he not most honorable of the three? Therefore he was her captain. Howbeit he attained not unto the first. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzel, who had, gone, who had done many great acts, he slew two linemen of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. But he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of his Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Bena, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among Three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three. And David set him over his guard. And now from verses 24 to the end, there's a list of David's mighty men. 
And for the sake of time and pronunciation, um, I'm just going to read their names and not where they're from. So we're going to work through this. But these are men now who are recorded in the Word of God as part of David's mighty men. We start there with Asahel, El Hanan, Shama, Elika, Helaz, Ira, Abiezar, Mabunai, Zamman, Meherai, Helub, Ittai, Benea, Hidei, uh, Abialbin, Asmabeth, Eliabeb, Jonathan, what a strange name, Shama, Ahiam, Aliphaleph, Eliam, Hezro, Pirai, Egal, Bani, Zelek, Neharai, Ira, Gira, and at the end of verse 39, Uriah the Hittites, 30 and 7 in all. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, we did pray. Father, we pray. Okay. This is the word of the Lord. So, with that list said, I know that many of you, this is a favorite passage that you turn to for devotional information, right? This is a passage you love. But the truth is, in these verses, they are packed with great and mighty acts. They're packed with principles. They're packed with a story. And so I had asked you last week to read over this, and I'm just wondering, first, you don't have to answer out loud if you read it. I hope you did. The reason we do that is because I want you to come to church not being cold, but reading the scripture, thinking about where we're going, and when we get there, being on the same page. So if you've not been doing that, let me encourage you to do that. We send that out every week. We want you to be in tune with what's happening. So I, I'm praying that you read it, and I'm praying that maybe something about this text, about these stories, about these men, stood out in your heart and mind. So let's just open up the floor this morning and find out if there's anything that we read just a moment ago that sort of just stuck out for you. Anything at all? Perfect. We're going to be a short day today. Go ahead, Shirley. Amen. Against awesome odds. I mean, the, the, the list here goes on and on about men and women who were courageous. And, and the truth is, they acted, but God wrought a great victory against all odds. And what a great truth that is for us, that, that we, in the power of God, can be courageous, right? We can do not only exceptional acts by his grace, but routine acts daily by his power and grace. Whether that's being a man or a woman of integrity, that's a courageous act, and done by the power of God. Or a man leading his family in his home like he should, loving and giving of himself, working your way through a broken relationship or marriage, raising a child or children on your own, courageous acts that are wrought by the power of God. And maybe for you this morning, it's just getting out of bed, getting up today. And so we see in this list, I mean, just incredible things done in the power of God. And for you and I this morning, there are incredible things we can do for his glory, but we can also do routine things by his power and glory. Good. I thought I saw Beth. Did you raise your hand? Unbelievable. It's an amazing story. Judy. Amen. And the thing about Shama is he's defending a bean patch. What's with that? I mean, why bother? And there's a great truth there, and maybe we should put a pin in that and talk about that next week, because there's a principle there about Shama sitting in a bean patch while everyone else is gone, but him standing his ground, and God giving him the victory. And how glorious that when you stood 
and you stood for Christ, and it was all over. What a feeling to know that God gave you the victory. Great truth. Ian? Okay, just one at a time, sir. One at a time. He wants to preach. We're going to do the water at Bethlehem. And what an amazing story that is. Here were these men who were close enough to the heart of David to hear his heart. David gives it, it's almost like a sigh, like, oh, if I could just have some water from Bethlehem. And these men were close enough to the king to know his heart. They were, um, they were loyal enough to make his wish, their command, and they were brave enough to obey at any cost. What a, what a great story that is, and what a great truth for us. Would we be the people that are close enough to the Savior to hear his heart, to make his wish our command, and to live a life bravely to obey at any cost. What a great truth. I'm going to put your other one on the side burner, okay? Ian, any other thoughts? Any other thoughts? Yes, Joanne, right? You have those mighty men there, and it reminds us for David, and we do see David's humanity, but it's a reminder for us that David didn't do any of these things alone. These battles were not just for David. There were mighty men. There were other individuals who, who, who came alongside, and the Lord wrought a victory. And it does remind us that we, there are battles to face, and each of us have different abilities, different talents. Some guys killing 800, some guys defending a bean patch. But they have a job, they have a mission. They need to do the best that they can and be faithful, and we're together on that. It's a wonderful thing. Any other thoughts before we go on? All right, we'll take one more. Mary, you think he shouldn't have dumped the water out. It's like, drink the water. But what it was for David was an act of worship to God. He couldn't believe that those men did that for him. And what he was doing was not an insult to them. We think of that that way, like, hey, I lost my life for this water. He was pouring out as an offering to God, saying he wasn't worthy of that drink. But it does make us think, doesn't it? And Stan, I said one more, but since you are here, we'll let you have it. Uriah the Hittite and the sin of David. What a great place to stop. And pick that up. Great. Thank you for your response this morning. And, and all those things are true. This, this text is packed with wonderful stories and great principles and, and things that we see from the hand of the Lord. But for me, as I read the list, we come to the end of this chapter of David's Mighty Men, and we find a name that we're familiar with, Uriah the Hittite. I wonder what went through David's mind as he looked at this list. Because you and I know that memories can haunt us. I'm sure that for David, certainly with this name would bring a a torrent of memories and emotions. I mean, here is David, and when he hears Uriah, here's what he knows. He took his wife, and he took his life. How do you recover from that? And, And I think as we first see that name, the first thought that many of us have is, oh my goodness, here's David, here's the stain, here's the wickedness, here's his past, it's being brought up again, you know, David certainly must be paralyzed by this, uh, he must be shamed and haunted by these memories, and it's a terrible thing to see that name at the bottom of the list. But let me say to you, and this may shock you, but for me, to see that name at the bottom of the list is an act of the grace of God, because David, yes, he sinned, Yes, he failed. Yes, he blew it. Yes, he devastated lives. And he repented and found forgiveness. And now we see David, who at this point is still, by the grace of God, leading 
the nation of Israel. Still, he's being useful for God's service. Not only that, David, during this time, has been collecting finances so that when Solomon builds a temple, David will finance most of that work for the glory of God. We find David continually writing psalms even after the event or because of the event of Uriah the Hittite. And would you think of this for a moment? When we think of David's life and this name on his list, this spot, this blackness, this, this terrible event. When the Lord Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh, comes to earth as a child when he is to learn songs, you know whose songs he sings? He sings the Psalms of David. David. And can we not all agree this morning, after 3,000 years, we are still singing David's Psalms, and they are still bringing peace and comfort and joy and rest. We all know David blew it. We all know the Uriah story, but I'm surprised that this is vintage Bible. We see the humanity of David, and not only the humanity of David, doesn't hide anything about him, but this is vintage Bible that even in a military list, I believe, it runs into grace. Grace. Amazing grace. So this morning, as we look at Uriah and look at this list, I would imagine for you and I this morning, if we were to be honest, we would have a list in our life. And maybe we'd have a Uriah on our list. Maybe if they're writing our story, there was a, a name, an event, a circumstance, a situation, a conversation that when it comes up, we know all too well the guilt, the shame, the grief. And those memories can haunt and paralyze us. But the truth is, we see David's life, we see this list, and David was not paralyzed for serving the Lord. He was not disdained or disregarded by God. He was useful. Useful. Memories of the past can paralyze and haunt us, but they need not. And it seems as we go through the Bible, and we find the characters of the Bible, it seems like everybody in the Bible has a past. So this morning, what I'd like to do as we think of Uriah and this stain on David's life that didn't paralyze him, that didn't haunt him his whole life, he was useful, that we can understand the same for ourselves this morning. And I don't think there's a better place to go than Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, with the life of someone who would have known a past and I'm sure would have had thoughts and memories that could have haunted him his entire life, and paralyzed him from serving the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, of course, the great chapter on the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it begins, Paul writing here says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory, what I preach unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, 
of whom the greater part remain unto this day. Present, but still, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, in verse number 8. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And Paul says here that last of all, I saw the Lord. I was as one born out of due time. The word actually means the idea of a miscarriage. Now here are these other men and women, these individuals that knew the Lord, but Paul doesn't meet the Lord until after the resurrection and after the ascension. And he says, listen, Christ appeared to me. And it's interesting because in that list, everyone who Christ appeared to is a believer except possibly for James, his brother, who did not believe in his part brother as being the Messiah until after the resurrection. And James would eventually give his life for his Savior. But Paul is an unbeliever. And Jesus Christ appears to Paul, who not only was an unbeliever, but look at verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, and am not me to be called an apostle. And just tuck this away, because when Paul says that, it is in the present tense. Paul's saying right now, listen, Christ appeared to me as one born out of due time, but I want you to know something right now. The man who I am, I am, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church. Not only did Paul not believe in Jesus Christ, but he sought to completely destroy the body of Christ, the church. The church. He says, I shouldn't even be called an apostle today because I persecuted the church. Now listen to me. You want to talk about indelible memories and things that you don't forget? I, I wish this morning I could tell you about the, the trip. And, and if I, I promise, if I started to tell you about the trip, we'd be here all day long, and my stories would go 500 different directions. I came home on Friday night at about 1230, and I was talking to Kim and the boys, and I was going through a story, and for every line in the story, there were five offshoots of another story. It was chaotic. And so I don't want to do that to you this morning, but I want to tell you something. There are things that I saw in Haiti that I will never, ever forget. They're there. I don't need a phone or a camera. They're there. I want to tell you something. In Paul's life, there are some things that are there. You know, in Acts chapter 8, it says that he, he wreaked havoc in the church. Havoc. He, he was out to destroy the church. And what he was doing is he was hauling off men and women to prison. Don't you think that for Paul, thinking back about his past, that he would see the faces of the people that he dragged away from their homes and destroyed their lives? Don't you think for Paul, as he says, I'm the least of the apostles, that he would know in his mind those men and women whose families were devastated, whose lives were taken? Add to that Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts. The Bible tells us there that Paul was consenting to his death. It means that Paul, as he watched Stephen die and, and, and kept the clothes for those who were stoning him so they could launch the stuff better, Paul was gratified. Paul found great pleasure in the fact that here was a man, a follower of Christ, who was being stoned to death. And Paul was happy and gratified and found pleasure in that. I have to believe that Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and lay not this to their charge. 
that Paul would have never, ever forgotten that. That in Paul's mind and his heart, I think forever he would remember standing and consenting and taking pleasure in the fact that Stephen was executed before him. And to watch his face and to see him fall asleep, as the Bible tells us. Paul had a past. Paul had a terrible past. But watch verse number 10. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul understood that by God's grace, by his redeeming work of Calvary, by the Son of Jesus Christ, that this grace liberates us, liberates him from the guilt of sin. Can I tell you something this morning? Guilt is a terrible, terrible thing. And the truth is, you and I are not equipped to deal with guilt. It's too heavy. It's too much. We're not equipped to deal with it. And Paul says, listen, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. The past is the past. Listen to me. We cannot forget the past. We can't. And I'm telling you this morning, we should not forget the past. And not that it beats us up or we feel a sense of guilt, but to remember what we have been forgiven of. Paul does not glory in his sinful past. He's not exalting what he has done. Paul is glorying in the fact that grace showed up in his life and he had been forgiven and he understood the magnitude of what he was forgiven from. There's a song, it's, it's, my, it's one of my favorites. I, I think it might be my favorite. It, the stands is my favorite. It, it is well with my soul. And I do believe, I think the third stand of, stanza of that song is one of the most powerful stanzas in all of the hymns that we sing. And it begins by saying, my sin. And it's written, if you ever look at your hymn book, it's written, it says, my sin, and there's a dash after it. That's really an interesting way to write something in English, my sin, dash. We find it someplace else in, in Exodus 32, I think it's 32, where Moses is pleading for the people of God and says, God, forgive them of their sins, and if not, dash. Because of the magnitude of what he's thinking about, Moses goes on and say, blot out my name. So the writer says, my sin, dash. My sin. It's, it's a heavy, heavy thought. My sin, dash. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, dash. Not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That's grace. That's amazing grace. And what Paul is saying is this. I want you to understand, I have a past, I have a history, I have faces, I have names, I have places, I have events. But I want you to know something. I am glory in God's grace because God's grace has liberated me from the guilt of my sin. I love what Newton says. He says, well might the accuser roar of sins that I have done. 
You know that to be true, don't you? We have an accuser of the brethren. Satan is an adversary, and he brings up names, situations, events in our past. And, and listen, Newton understood that. He's a slave trader, wicked man. Well, might the accuser roar of sins that I have done? I know them all, and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. And listen to me. It's not that God forgot. God doesn't, God was like, well, God just forgot my sins. He put them in the depths of the sea. He remembers them no more. It doesn't mean that God just forgot what you've done. It means he has not dealt with us according to our iniquities anymore. He chooses to treat us as if we are sinless and forgiven. And so this grace liberates from the guilt of sin. Listen to this quote by Knox uh, Chamblin. Here's what he says about this reference. An ongoing awareness of grace reminds Paul of the appalling sin from which he had been delivered. Right? Paul didn't forget, but grace helped him to be reminded of the sin from which he was delivered. And then he says, an ongoing awareness of, the, of that sin keeps him dependent on God's grace. Paul never moved away from that. Still there was holy sadness, still there was grief at times, still there was was a broken heart, but their memories did not haunt or paralyze Paul. He moves beyond the despair of that memory to walk in the grace of God. This morning, listen to me. We have a past. But I want you to know because of what Christ has done, grace liberates us from the guilt of sin. And then secondly, grace energizes for service. Look at our text back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. For by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul says, listen, not only this grace has liberated me from the guilt of sin, but this grace now, as I understand it, energizes me to serve the Lord. It energizes me for service. I, I want you to know something, Paul says, This grace of God, this salvation, this sacrifice of Christ, this forgiveness of my sin doesn't make me complacent. It energizes me to do something with what I've been given. Paul says, this grace is not going to be wasted on me. I don't know about you, but I hate waste. I hate wasting anything. For years, as the kids were growing up, um, at the end of dinner, if their plates weren't empty and they couldn't eat anymore, I would just say, pass them this way. I was doing my duty as a good father. It's not good for your diet, but it, it, there's no waste. I hate wasting, especially food. We were in um, Haiti on Wednesday, and, and, and Pastor Eve's good man, I, 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 tell, I tell you this, I, you would be Thoroughly impressed with what he's doing there. It's an amazing work. But Pastor Eves doesn't understand the idea of the gringo coming and getting sick there. Doesn't understand parasites and those things. And so we try to tell him, listen, we're going to be careful what we eat. He said, okay, I got it, I got it. We'll be very careful. So when we're in Haiti, um, in this town, we go to a Haitian restaurant. And he says, look at the menu and see if it's okay to eat the food here. It doesn't matter if you look at a menu you don't know how it was repaired, what's going on, and so it's like, ah, I don't know. You know, it's in Creole, and it's like, okay, what's this? And he said, well, this is chicken, a chicken sandwich. And listen to me, this was one of those trips that there was not a lot of eating happening at all. 
two nights for dinner, Dan and I, two nights for dinner after going all day because we couldn't find a place. We had Pringles potato chips and Coke, and it was delicious. Delicious. <laughs> and so, so he said, look at the menu. He said, this chicken sandwich. I said, okay, okay, Eves, is this like a, is this like a, like, like a fried chicken? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking Chick-fil-A, right? Is this like a fried chicken on a sandwich? He said, yes, it is. I said, let's order it. So he ordered, him and his friend ordered a traditional Haitian meal, which looked delicious, rice and corn and liver. And uh, so then they bring out our food. And so, you know, we're expecting this wonderful chicken dinner and a sandwich, and he comes out with a, it looked like a hot dog bun about that long and that big. Like, oh, that's weird. And we opened it up. Um, there was like this ketchup kind of stuff on there. I think it was ketchup. Um, there was ketchup on there, and when you looked at the sandwich, it was just something that was all chopped up. You couldn't even recognize what it was. I have to tell you, when you pray for food in Haiti to be sanctified, you really pray to be sanctified. It's not like God blesses food. It's like, oh, God, please kill whatever in here. And we're sitting there. We're sitting there, and it's like, and we're starving. I mean, we, we'd say, that morning we got up at 2 in the morning, and this was lunchtime at 1. We had a cup of yogurt before we left the house. We're starving. So Dan looks at me. We pray for it. We take a bite of this delicious chicken sandwich, and, and listen, I don't know what it was. I don't, but here's what I think it was. You know, if you boil a chicken wing, if you boil a little chicken wing, if you were to take a chicken wing and boil it, and then chop the whole thing completely up and mince it, and put it on bread and eat it, that's exactly what it was. And so the first bite, there, there's, a, there's not even a taste of chicken. You get cartilage and bones. It was delicious. And, I'm, and we're eating it, and you take the first swallow, and it's like, that was interesting. And then the next bite, I, we couldn't help it. I mean, we, we just sort of put our napkin to our mouth because you couldn't get any. It was bones and cartilage. And so by the time we're done, because I couldn't waste anything, I ate seven-eighths of that sandwich. Dan didn't do as well. He ate a lot, but it was, listen, I hate wasting anything. I hate it. Even a sickening Chicken sandwich. Paul says, listen to me. I want you to know something. This grace that was given to me, it's not going to be wasted. Paul understood what he was saved from. And so Paul then goes to work, not to be saved, not to merit grace, but because of grace. Because of grace. He labors uh, not just to respond to grace. Labor is not just to respond to grace, but more improperly, it is seen as the effect of grace. Can I tell you something? When you experience grace, how can you not work for the Lord? How can you not serve the Lord? How can you not tell his story? How can you not give him everything when you know that he loved you and gave himself for you? Paul had a past, but by grace, It had completely captivated his heart. Now notice the last thing about this section in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse number 10. He says, I labored more abundantly than all of them. But then he says, but by the grace of God, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And Paul's not bragging or boasting. He says, listen, this grace has, has delivered me from the guilt of my sin. This grace now has energized me for service of the Savior. And now I want you to know something. When it's all said and done, even what I'm doing is by God's grace. When our kids were younger and they went to a, a school, they would, uh, 
around Christmas time, they would have a time together with, they called it a Christmas boutique. And what they would do is uh, they would bring stuff into the school, like little crafts and presents, and they would send a letter home with the parents, and they would say, listen, we have this Christmas boutique, and your kids, we're gonna get, we, want you, we want your kids to buy you something for Christmas, but we want you to give them money to buy it, right? That's how they work it. So you give money to your children so they can go to school and pick out some terrific gifts for you for Christmas. So you put $10 in there, the kid goes around the classroom, he picks up gifts. Okay. When that kid comes back with those gifts, and they wrap them for you, and when Kim and I opened those gifts, we didn't say, big deal, it was my money in the first place. That was dumb. Can't you do any better than this? Why don't you get your own job, four-year-old, and go buy my gifts for me? We didn't do that. Not at all. Yeah, it was my money. It was her money. It wasn't their money. But they used that money to do something for us. And I have to tell you, the dumb little gift, it wasn't about that. It blessed our heart that they took what we had given them and, and did something for us. And so what Paul says, listen, the grace of God, here's what it is. It's been revealed to me. It's captivated my heart. I'm going to work for him, and it's all his anyways. It's all his anyways. Now, let me close this off. Here's the lessons from Uriah, the Hittite, and from Paul, the apostle. The past is the past. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, and you say, Pastor, I have no idea what you've done. I don't have a past like that. I don't have a story like that. I don't have a big Uriah in my life or a big Stephen in my life. Then let me say to you, thank God for it. Because it's by the grace of God that you don't, and you don't need to have a past like that. Because I want to tell you something. What Satan does is he destroys life. He ruins things. And if you can guide clear from that, you can have a life that is pure and holy and righteous, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so don't be, I need a past. You don't need a past. I, I don't know if this is true. I think it's true. You can check it out. We had a pastor who used to come from our, to our church in Cleveland called Pastor Point from, from Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And here's what he said. I know the history is right on this. He said, when Haiti rebelled against the French in 1790-something, the nation in 1804, the first nation ever that slaves rebelled and became independent. But when they did, this, this Haitian told me, and I've checked out some of the story, that they had a group of witch doctors who, when they were about to go to battle, dedicated the Haitian island to Satan. Or to witchcraft. I think it's probably witchcraft, not Satan. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I have to tell you something. If it is true, Haiti is a perfect picture of what Satan does to a life because it's garbage, wasted, nothing, desolate. It's empty and meaningless. And so if you don't have a past, thank God for it. You don't need to have a past like that. And it's by God's grace that you don't. Glory in it. But for the rest of us, we do have a past. And you cannot change it. The past is the past. Right? Those, they're there. But what you can change is what it means to you. Our God wastes nothing. And he uses all of those things ultimately for his glory. So, with that in mind, understand this morning, Christian, that grace liberates us from the guilt of sin. That's the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel liberates us from the guilt of all our sin. There's not a sin that you commit that I commit that's not covered by the blood. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. It relieves me of that guilt. Yes, I blew it. Yes, I struggled. I repented. And now, by God's grace, Jehovah knoweth none. No guilt. No guilt. It frees us from that. And therefore, we as believers should free others from that guilt as well.